Chapter 1 There was still one dangerous, reckless leftover, something that frightened all of us, from the days when Friar Tuck Golden Boy was a sighted, free-running dog, apt to roam all around the neighborhood and his favorite haunt, Montclair Park. The leftover was an occasional jaunt without his guide dog, Lady Daisy, or me, Helen Ogden. Having been hit by a car almost in front of our house not too long after the light faded, you'd think he would have learned a lesson. Not so. Behind those gushy gray eyes was always an independent and defiant I'll-show-you spirit. I have in mind a Tuesday afternoon in March when I returned from school to find Lady Daisy alone in the backyard. Calling for him, I looked around inside the house, thinking he'd used the dog door to go back in. I looked in every room. No tuck. Daisy had followed me, and I said, Where is he? Her tail wagged, but that wasn't much help. That tail wagged a lot for one reason or another. I did a second search of the house, and then returned to the backyard. He'd been known to gather speed and take a flying leap over the back fence, clearing it from memory, I guess. Dogs do have memory capability, probably better than any other animal. It was about 3.30, an hour and a half before dark, and I went back into the house, wrote a note to Mother saying Tuck was loose, leashed Daisy, and took his leash along. Off we went in search of that stubborn Labrador. This was the third time since we'd acquired Lady Daisy that Tuck had gone off on his own, and twice before we'd found him in the park, doing what he could spend hours doing, sniffing every tree trunk and bush. Just how he navigated, safely or not, crossing Denham and going on into the park was unknown. Of course, there are many known cases of dogs traveling miles, even hundreds of miles, back to their homes. Cats, too. But I think those animals were sighted, and used the combination of sight and smell to return to their families. Tuck had only the latter, of course. True, he knew his way along Cheltenham, having marked it with urine day after day. But getting across Denham was another matter, and I could only guess that he heard his way across, waiting until all car noises were gone, then hurrying to the next curb. I could almost see him doing that. But it was a dangerous thing to do and I'd reacted with a mixture of fright and anger the other two times he'd run away. I just wanted to get my hands on him. It took less than a minute to cover the three-quarters of a block, cross the street, and get into the park. I went by the fountain with Daisy and looked everywhere, even standing up on the edge of the pool, getting some added height, shouting his name. No sign of the yellow dog. Then we started off in more or less his usual pattern of exploring, moving along Denham and going toward the Wickenham boundary, then turning back toward the Cheltenham boundary. Whoever I passed, I asked, Have you seen a big yellow Labrador? I got no answers. He's blind, I said. Sorry, was what they said. Yes, it was a sorry state, and the sun was sinking lower over Los Angeles with every minute. Soon the rush-hour traffic would be building up on Denham and every other street around the park. Cars often traveled Wickenham at 40 and 50 miles per hour. 
In the darkness, the drivers would be lucky to see Tuck. He'd be lucky if they did see him. That miserable, dumb hound. No, he wasn't dumb. Just miserable. Where is he? I yelled at Lady Daisy, angry at her for not stopping him, realizing at the same time that there was no way she could prevent him from jumping the fence. I very seldom swore when I was in my early teens, but I did that late afternoon. I damned Tuck every which way. It would be back on the chain for him, and I knew how he hated those steel links. Within ten minutes I knew he wasn't in the park and went straight over to Ledbetter's to ask greengrocer Mr. Ishihara...